Okay. Awesome, awesome. Well, good morning. So, um, how about today I talk about Jesus? How's that sound? Good. I'm glad you like that because that's what I got prepared for you is some Jesus stuff. And as you know, as you maybe remember, as I've been sharing, I've been kind of sharing stuff about the the Lord and, and how his heart is towards us. Um, and I'm going to, this message is really, these messages are really, um, it's a message that God's really putting in my heart, even as I'm sharing it with you. I wish I could say I perfected all of this and wish you all would get it together and come up to where I'm at, but I'm with the rest of you. We're all on this journey of really understanding the heart of God in deeper and more profound ways. You know, I think we all understand grace and mercy, but I don't think we fully understand the real depths of God's grace and mercy. And so this study for me has been a study that has massaged my heart and continues to massage my heart. And um, I'm really tired of choking the tears back every week and it's but some of you probably love it you're like oh he's a human look at him he's he's one of us how I am so today I want to I just want to talk about how Jesus deals gently with us Um, and when you read the Old Testament uh, you'll there are two kind of main figures that pop up and, and when I say figures, I don't mean like a specific person, but specifically in ancient Israel, there were two, two people that were very, very important, very integral. And um, one was a king, and the king represented God to the people. The other was a priest, and the priest represented the people towards God. And so the king provided authority over the people and the priest, he provided solidarity, right? We're, we're all in this together. He provided that solidarity with the people. And so in the book of Hebrews, it tells us what it means for Jesus to be our priest, like the true priest. In fact, he's the priest whom every other priest is a shadow of. Jesus is the priest that every other priest is supposed to be pointing towards. Now, the priests of Israel themselves were sinners. And so when it came to their sins, they had to not only offer sacrifices for the sins of all the people, but they also had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. And some of these ancient priests, well, remember I said they're sinners? Some of them were real stinkers, (laughs) real sinners. In fact, we'll go as far as to say some of the priests that we can read about in the Old Testament are some of the most evil people of the Old Testament. I'm I'm talking like Hopney and Phineas, sons of Eli, you can read about those two guys um, in 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 4. And they were just the worst. 
So the fact is, though, that we, we, us, us people today, we need a priest just as much as the Israelites did in their day. We need someone to represent us to God. But the priests of the Old Testament were sometimes very disappointing. Sometimes they were evil and corrupt. So the kind of priest that we need is one who knows how weak we are so that he can sympathize with us in a very deep way. But he himself has never sinned. And therefore, as one who has never sinned, his heart never gets filled with self-pity, self-absorption. The hot topic or the hot word in social media is narcissism. He wasn't narcissistic. We need a priest like that. That priest would be a real priest a priest who understands us, understands what we are going through completely, can sympathize, yet never suffered like we suffered when it comes to uh, coming under sin. That kind of priest is capable of being very gentle with us. Amen? Now, the last time I shared, I was in Hebrews chapter 4, and if you remember, I talked about uh, the way that the heart of Christ is drawn to us as his people when we are in the midst of our pain and suffering. Who remembers any part of that? Eric does. And I saw Chris's hand. The way Christ is drawn to us in the midst of our pain and our suffering. And so... Today, what I want to look at is I want to look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2, where we can see this other truth about Jesus. And that truth is the way that he treats the people that he's attracted to in their suffering and their distress. And we see the what of Christ's priestly role in Hebrews 4.15, but now I want to look at the how. And this is in verse 2 of chapter 5 where it says he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness now again what is the how how does he deal with us it says gently gently is how he deals with this now that greek word for deal gently here in verse 5-2, it shares a common root word with the word sympathize, which was in Hebrews 4.15. So, when these original hearers, these Hebrew people, when they were hearing and reading Hebrews 4.15, 5-2, they would have been able to pick up on this similarity and in a way that we miss it in our English language. And we also see in both texts that the Greek verb dunamai is repeated even in the same verb form as well as repeated in the mention of weakness. And I know that's kind of nerdy information, but it's important that we understand that there's continuity in all of this. So let me give you two transcribed sentences so that you can get an idea of the parallelism that these earlier listeners 
would have noticed. And so in, in Hebrews 4.15, uh, would you like me to try to say these words? Dunaminon sympathasia tois, which means able to sympathize with the. And then in 5.2, it says, metriopathin dunaminon tois, which means he can deal gently with. Wow. Even children will cry at my Greek. <laughs> like, stop. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> You're an Indiana, Indiana person. Just stick to what you know. Okay, I get you. So anyway, what we have is we've got this repeated Greek word, dunamino, right? Which means one who is able to or one who has the capacity. Are we on the right slide yet? Almost. And we also, if you remember last time when I shared, I talked about this word, sympathia, which means to co-suffer in the sense of that he is with us in this. And this is where we get our word sympathy in the English. But this Greek word, the meaning is a lot deeper and a lot richer than the sympathy that we kind of use, that word, tends to imply when we think about sympathy. Now, in chapter 5, verse 2, as this writer is continuing to lay out how Jesus is our great and high priest, again, we see this word, metriopathine. Now, this is the only use of this verb in the entire New Testament. And it means exactly what we see or is given in this text. It means to deal gently. Now, the prefix, which is metrio, has a sense of uh, restraint or moderation. And the root of this word is pathio, and that refers to passion or suffering. So, the idea here in chapter 5, verse 2, is that Jesus does not throw his hands up in the air when he engages us as sinners, right? I mean, how many times do we go, seriously, again? I know you do it with your kids. Now, you do it in your head with adults. You're like, seriously, again? Like, come on, what's your deal? That's not Jesus. He never, ever gets frustrated. He doesn't come to us and throw up his hands when he's engaging us who are sinning. In fact, he is calm. Everyone say calm. calm. He's tender. Say tender. tender. He's soothing. Say soothing. He is restrained. Say restrained. Jesus deals with us gently. Now, we say amen, but we as Christians love to think that some of us get the good stuff and other of us, well, I don't know. So who really gets, who really gets this gentle treatment? I think most of us believe or think that, you know, it's those people who only commit, you know, small sins, you know, 
But the big, big sinners, mm -mm. the big sinners who call themselves Christians, they get harsher treatment. Anyone else felt that way? Well, that's not what it says. It says he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Now, those two words, ignorant and wayward, are not two lesser types or, of sinners, like separate from the rest of us great sinners. No. Ignorant and wayward, that is the way that the writer is trying to cover all of us. Every one of us. And this is because in the Old Testament, there are actually essentially two types of sin. There's involuntary and voluntary. There's accidental and then there's intentional. Or as in Numbers chapter 15 puts it, it's, there's unintentional and with a high hand. Everyone say, with a high hand. Now say it with an English accent. With a high hand. There you go. Doesn't that sound awful? So this is almost certainly what the author of Hebrews had in mind with ignorance, referring to accidental sins, and wayward, referring to willful sins. So in other words, when Hebrews 5.2 says that Jesus can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, the point is that Jesus deals gently and only gently Everyone say, only gently, with all sinners. All sinners who come to him, regardless of the sin, regardless of the particular uh, offense, no matter how heinous it is. See, what evokes the tenderness of Jesus, it is not the severity or the lack thereof of severity of the sin. What really evokes his tenderness is do you come to him or not? No matter how we sin, he treats us gently. However, if we never come to him, we will experience that judgment. And it is a judgment that is so fierce that it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth at us. If we reject Jesus and his forgiveness and his forgiveness of our sin then we have to be judged because sin has to be judged. And if we don't come to Jesus with our sins, then we will feel the full force of the fury of the lion's judgment. But if we come to Christ and we receive him, we are forgiven and we get to receive his lamb-like tenderness. And that tenderness 
wraps us up in his love. It doesn't matter how evil you've been. When we come to him, we get his gentle, lamb-like love. The fact is, we are going to be wrapped in one or the other. Jesus will be neutral with no one. Now, let's just kind of consider kind of what this all means. So, when we sin, we are encouraged to bring our mess to Jesus because he knows exactly how to receive us, right? He doesn't treat us harshly. He doesn't frown or growl or... Ah. doesn't lash out. And all this restraint he shows us is not because, you know, well, my sin wasn't that big of a deal, right? It's not because we think our sins are not that big or I'm not that big of a sinner. You know, I just do a couple of things, you know. No. In fact, Jesus knows our sins far more deeply than we do. In fact, we are really only aware of the tip of the iceberg. We're, we basically just know the tip of the iceberg of our depravity. Even when we've done a lot of introspection, and we do a lot of that around here. His restraint, it flows from his tender heart to us as people. See, Hebrews doesn't just tell us that instead of scolding us, Jesus loves us. It's telling us what kind of love he has. Rather than, you know, rather than just this providing grace from up on high as he bestows it on us. No. What Jesus does is he gets down in the mess with us. He puts his arm around us. He deals with us in a way that is just the way we needed it. He deals gently with us. Now, the fact that Jesus, who is our high priest, can be gentle with the ignorant and wayward, it means that he would not reject a poor sinner who comes to him any more than a father would reject his own baby. Especially because that baby was crying. What father would see a cry, his own crying child and go, Ugh, you're too much. You're too much for me today. Jesus is able with all meekness and gentleness and patience and moderation, he is able to bear with our infirmities and our sins and the frustrations that other people bring us. He's able to deal and bear with us in that way, just like a nursing mother bears with the weakness of her own child crying when he's hungry. When his tummy's got too much gas and he's hurting. 
The heart of Jesus is drawn to us. His, his heart is so full of love, lovely love. He is so full of lovely love towards us that our suffering doesn't put him off. And let's again, let's remember that Christ's meekness and gentleness and patience, these are not part-time qualities. They're not like some accidental characteristic of his. It is his concern, his tenderness towards sinners of all kinds. That is what comes most natural to him. He doesn't have to muster this stuff up like we do, right? Being nice to the people who treat us awful, people who let us down. Oh, well, I've got to put on a happy face. It's okay, brother. I forgive you. It is most natural for Jesus to be tender and kind. It's when, he, when Jesus loves us, he is doing what he does best. He is doing what comes most natural to him. And actually, given the depth of our sin, the fact that Jesus has not yet rejected us proves that his deepest joy is to be gently patient with us. Our sinful nature is so deep that a half-hearted effort from the gentleness of Jesus is not going to suffice. But the deeper our sin, the deeper his gentleness. Now, sometimes we have to ask, why? Why is Christ gentle with us? Well, the text tells us, it says that he himself is beset with weakness. Now, this is a reference to the high priesthood in general because the next verse speaks of the high priest having to offer his own offering, which, by the way, Jesus did not need to do. But again, let's remember what we, we read in Hebrews 4.15. It says, Jesus himself though without sin, could sympathize with our weaknesses. And that weakness, it's the same Greek word that we're looking at here in 5.2. And is someone who was once tempted like us in every way. Jesus has no sin. None. But he experienced everything and all that it means to live as a real human being in this fallen world. He experienced weakness in the face of suffering, temptation, and all other kinds of human limitations. Now, the various priests throughout Israel's history, they were weak. They were sinful. Our high priest, Jesus, he experienced weakness, but he was sinless. And contrary to what we might think, the deeper we sink into our weaknesses and sufferings and trials, 
the deeper Christ's solidarity is with us. See, when we, as we go down into pain and anguish, we actually go deeper and deeper into the very heart of Christ without moving away from it even a little bit. This means that we have got to keep our eyes on Jesus because he takes care of us gently. It's the only way he knows how to be. He is the high priest to end all high priests. Now, if we, instead of keeping our eyes on him, we pay more attention to our sins, we will never feel the safety that we should be feeling in the arms of Christ. But if we just look to Jesus, this high priest, we won't be consumed by the fear of danger that we might be in. See, when we just look inside ourselves, it's going to lead us to the fear of punishment. But if we look towards Christ, we can only anticipate, guess what it is? Gentleness. So, who knows who John Bunyan is? Just raise your hand if you know who John Bunyan is. All right. Some of you don't. It's okay. John Bunyan lived from 1628 to 1688. John was a poor, uneducated person. And by the world's standards, everything was against Bunyan making any kind of lasting impact on history. Now, if we know the Lord, we know this is, this is the kind of guy that Jesus loves to work with. He really enjoys working with this. He loves to take those who are sidelined and overlooked and give them a quietly pivotal role in revealing redemptive history. So for those who don't know who John Bunyan is best known for, he is best known for a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress, if you didn't know this, is besides the Bible, it is the best-selling book in history. Bible's number one. This is number two. But he's also the author of 57 other books. And one of his best is a book that's titled, Come and Welcome to Jesus. And he wrote this in 1678. And in this book, Bunyan takes a single Bible verse, and he wrote an entire book about it. <laughs> one verse. Would you like to know what that verse is? <coughs> Jesus wept. Jesus wept. <laughs> Oh, someone's done it. You laugh. <laughs> Not quite, pastor. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, this is one of Bunyan's favorite verses, and we know this because he frequently quotes it in lots of his writings. 
But in this particular book, he takes the text and he focuses on it and he's, he looks at it from just like every single angle you could come up with. And if we look closely, even at this verse, you can see that there is a mountain of wonderful theology just right here in this one verse. In fact, I'll just kind of skip through some of the highlights here just to give you an idea. So that first word, all, right? Notice it's all, and it doesn't say most, right? Most of those who, you know, the Father gives me will come to me. Who's glad he says all? Because here's the deal. When the, once the Father sets his loving gaze on a sinner, you're done. It's over. That sinner, they're going to be rescued, right? Just not going to get around it. And it's the Father, right? See, our redemption, it, it's not a matter of just a, a, a gracious and gentle son trying to calm down his uncontrollably angry father. Like sometimes we think that way, right? Like Jesus has come to save us from the wrath of God. He's so angry and hates us that, you know, Jesus is like, no, I got them. They're my friends. Don't hurt them. No, it's the Father. The Father himself is determining our deliverance. It is the Father who is taking the loving initiative. Isn't that wonderful? And then it's gives, not haggles. He gives. It's the Father's deep delight to freely, everyone say freely, to freely deliver wayward sinners into this gracious care of the Son. And then it says, will come. God's saving purpose for a sinner is never thwarted. He's never frustrated. He never runs out of resources. The Father, if the Father calls us, we're coming to Christ. And then it says, and whoever comes. And that means we're not robots. While the Father is clearly the sovereign overseer of our redemption, we are not dragged kicking and screaming into Christ against our will. In fact, divine grace is so radical that it reaches down and it has this way of just shifting our own desires. Our eyes get opened. Christ becomes beautiful. And guess what? We come. And anyone, whoever, is welcome. And then it says, comes to me. We have to remember that we do not come, we're not coming to a set of doctrines. We're not coming to even a church building. We're not even coming to words on the pages of that holy Bible. We are coming to a person. Amen. We are coming to Christ himself. 
And so Bunyan draws out all of this and so much more. And at the heart of this book, he really goes after confronting our natural doubts about the deepest heart of Christ. In fact, I'm going to read you some of it. It says, They that are coming to Jesus Christ are oftentimes heartily afraid that Jesus Christ will not receive them. This observation is implied in the text. I gather it from the largeness and openness of the promise. I will in no wise cast out. For had there not been a proneness in us to fear casting out, Christ needed not to have waylaid our fear, as he does by this great and strange expression in no wise. There needed not, as I may say, such a promise to be invented by the wisdom of heaven and worded at such a rate as it were on purpose to dash in pieces at one blow all the objections of coming sinners if they were not prone to admit of such objections to the discouraging of their own souls. For this word, in no wise, cuts the throat of all objections. And it was dropped by the Lord Jesus for that very end. And to help the faith that is mixed with unbelief. And it is, as it were, the sum of all promises... Neither can any objection be made upon the unworthiness that you find in yourself that this promise will not assail a soil. It is a soil. But I am a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. This promise was provided to answer all objections and does answer them. Now, we no longer use this phrase in no wise. But it was the 17th century way uh, of capturing John 6.37. And if, again, if we were to read the text in the Greek, it literally, literally reads, The one coming to me I will not, not cast out. And so what happens sometimes in the Greek language is that it uses two negatives piled on top of each other for extra forcefulness, right? It's like, it's like saying, I will, I will most certainly never, ever, not ever, never cast out, right? Ever, never, never. It'll never, never happen. 
That's what we're, we have here in this text. <clears throat> so what is, what's John Bunyan, what's he getting after? What's his point? Jesus' statement here in 637 and his book, Come and Welcome to Jesus, and the quote that I just shared at the center of this book, these, they all exist to calm us. And we live in an age of high anxiety. I know. I know. But this here is to calm us. It's to calm us into the steadfast nature of Christ's heart. And I know we all say, well, but I... Jesus says, I will never cast you out. And listen, I know we all can come up with an endless list of reasons why Jesus would be tempted to kick us out. We are factories when it comes to creating new resistances to the love of Christ. Even when we lack obvious reasons to be rejected, like a specific sin or a failure, many times we just hold on to the feeling that given enough time, Jesus will eventually just get tired of us. All right? Just get over. I'm like so tired of your failures. Just go away. Bunyan understands us. He knows that we tend to deflect these assurances from Christ. And again, I, I, we're all, I can imagine, no, wait, 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 Tom, wait, just one more. Yeah. As we approach Jesus cautiously, you know, because he doesn't understand. I mean, I really messed up in every way. Jesus says, I know. Eh, well, you know most of it, but there is definitely more than what everyone sees. There is an evil in me that is hidden from everyone. Jesus says, I know everything. Well, the point is, it's not just my past. It's also my present. Jesus says, I get it. Yeah, but I don't know if I can even break free from this stuff anytime soon. Jesus says, that's the only kind of person I'm here to help. But you don't understand the burden. It's so heavy and it's getting heavier all the time. Jesus says, then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. I can't keep doing this. Jesus says, it's not too much for me. You don't get it. My offenses, they're not just towards others. They're against you. And Jesus says, then I am the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you're going to get fed up with me. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Can we see? 
There is not a single reason why Christ should close his heart to us. There are, no reason exists. And we, I think we get messed up or caught up because we know that in the natural, every human has a limit, right? We know that even our friends have a limit. We know that if I offend enough over and over, if, if the relationship hurts enough, if we get betrayed enough times, then guess what? The walls go up and we are cast out. With Christ, our sins and weaknesses are what qualify us to draw near to him. Nothing but coming to him is required. Not just when our first conversion happened, but the thousands and hundreds of thousands that we keep coming to him. And we will keep coming thousands and thousands of times more until we are finally next to him in reality in the next life. And maybe, maybe it's our suffering in life that causes some of us to question the determination of Christ's heart. As, we, as the pain of our life increases sometimes and numbness takes over. Sometimes for months and sometimes for years. At some point, when we have suffered for so long, at some point, there's that little thought that we start to entertain that maybe I've been cast out. He doesn't see me anymore. He doesn't care. I mean, surely this is not what life was supposed to feel like for someone who's been buried into the heart of a gentle and lowly Savior. So if, if that was my situation, it wouldn't be this bad. Well, Jesus did not say that only those with a pain-free life will never be cast out. He says that those who come to him, those who just come, are never cast out. That's not what life gives us but to whom we belong that determines the way that Christ's love comes to us. The only thing required to enjoy this kind of love is just come. To ask him to take us in. You know, Jesus does not say, whoever comes to me feeling bad enough for their sins. Whoever comes to me and promises to try harder. He doesn't say that. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Our strength of determination is not part of the formula in maintaining God's faithfulness to us. Our strength of when we would... Sorry. Yes. Let me, let me paint you a picture here. Um, when we would go on vacation, and when my boys were really young, like 
two, three, four. Um, and we would, we'd go to the pool. And many, many times I remember um, we would, I'd take one of my boys into the pool. And we would slowly start walking towards the deep water, right? And of course, as you know, when you're with a small child and you start getting deeper, what do they do? Hey, Dad, <laughs> you're right there. Oh, yes, I am, right? And so as we get in the water, my two-year-old boy would instinctively grab my hand, and he would hold on tight. And as the water got deeper and deeper, his grip got tighter and tighter. But if you know anything about two-year-olds, their grip's not very strong, right? And so before long, it's not he holding on to me, but me holding on to him. If it was all up to my baby boy's strength, he would certainly slip out of my hand. But see, I had determined that he's not going to fall out of my grasp. You're secure. He couldn't get away from me if he tried. We know what that feels like when you're walking through the mall. <laughs> nope, right here. Nope, nope, we're not going to do that. We're not going to look at the puppies. No caramel corn today. It's the same with Jesus. Now, we, we do cling to him. But our grip is like a two-year-old when it comes to the storms and the trials of life. But the grip of Jesus never fails. In fact, Psalm 63, 8 really expresses this two-sided truth. David says, my soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. We can raise our objections, but nothing can threaten these words in John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Say, never cast out. See, for those who belong to God, the heart of Jesus is not a rental. It is our new permanent residence. We are not tenants. We are children. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurances that his presence and comfort will always be there. No matter what the battle is, no matter how many failures or how big they are, he is never going to cast us out. Can you say amen? Now, if you would, just close your eyes for a second. Because I want to give us an opportunity to respond to this truth that our gentle Jesus is coming towards us in the midst of our sin. He will never cast us out. Once we come to him and we keep coming, he will never cast us out and if you're here today I want to give you an opportunity to respond 
Because maybe you've never, ever asked Jesus to be your loving and forgiving Savior. Maybe you've never come to him and received this kind of love. I want you to know today is the day to change that. Right now. This very moment. And so if you are here today and you are feeling this drawing of Jesus, you're longing for a relationship like this. You want to come to Jesus so that he can take your sins away and receive you and all of the mess of your life. If you are here today and you want him to be your savior and you want to turn over control of your life, I just need you to raise your hand so I can see you. Thank you. I see your hand. Now maybe you're here and a long time ago you gave your heart to Jesus. But you've not followed him very well. But you want to follow him like never before because this this Jesus from the Bible, I need him. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus today, I want you to raise your hand so I can see it. Okay, and now for the rest of us who have had these doubts, who have questioned this love, who have wondered if I've sinned one too many times. Today's the day to smash those things. So if you're in this place and you are ready to once again just receive this love and smash some of these doubts, why don't you just stand up right now? You've had doubts, you've had questions, you wondered, have I done too much? Is it too far? That's you, stand up. But Tom, I've got, I've got this one thing that I can't, I can't get over. Well, now's the time to stand up if you need some help. I've been struggling with this thing. Now's the time. It's time now. I've been suffering and suffering, God, and I don't know if God's even there anymore. Well, now's the time. If you're not standing up, I want you to just reach over and maybe gently put your hand on the shoulder of some of these people who are standing up. 
and I'm going to pray. Go ahead, do it now. If you're sitting next to someone, standing next to them, we're just going to come around them. This is who the body of Christ is right here, right now. There's a couple in the back over here, if you guys, some of you go. Thank you. Just begin to pray the love of God over them. And I just want to say, on behalf of the Lord, you are forgiven. Your sins, though they be scarlet, they are white. And so, Father, I pray for these right now who have doubted. Even as I have doubted in times in my life, God, that I would be cast out. I say right now in the name of Jesus, we break this. We break it off of them in the name of Jesus. Because you in no wise will be cast out, says the Lord. And so the doubt and the unbelief, we break that off in the name of Jesus today. We come against accusation in the name of Jesus today. And we release a revelation of the love of God. The love of the Father, the love of the Son, and the love of the Holy Spirit. We release it now onto these who have come forth. And Father, we thank you. that you would not tell us that we should be forgiving seven times 77 and you not being willing to practice it yourself. So there is an endless supply of forgiveness, Lord, that you have for us when we come to you. And so we receive that today. No matter how much pain and suffering we're in and we've been going through, we receive your love. We receive your forgiveness. We receive our true nature as sons and daughters today. We are not dogs who take the scraps from the Father's table. We have had a table prepared for us, and you are the guest of honor. And so we sit at the table that you prepare for us, even in the midst of our enemies, even in the midst of our trial and our suffering. Because your rod and your staff comfort us, God. And so today I release that gentle love of Jesus that leads us towards still waters and green pastures. We release it now in the mighty name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. This is our action plan for this week. If you want to take a picture with your phone, I want you to consider the word gently that we've read about here in Hebrews 5.2, speaking of the priest and of Jesus as the perfect priest. Does this word surprise you in any way? What is a difficulty in your life right now that this word can calm and heal?
Then I want you to ask, what is the difference between fixing your attention on your sin versus fixing your attention on Christ? Amen. And the last question, how does John 6.37 affect your current situation right now? This week we're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Please do a hear journal or Alexio Divina to really get the meaning of this chapter. And we're also memorizing James chapter 1 verse 10. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just want to delight in you and your love grace, your unending mercy, the assurance that you're never going to cast us out, that we would come to you, and we come, and we come, and our sin, our mess, our trials, our burdens, this is the thing that qualifies us to come. So we thank you for coming to us, saving our souls, healing our lives, and setting us on a new path, even though there are bumps and there are valleys and crooked places, we thank you that you walk with us every step of the way. So we bless you for that today, God. We love you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen. Have a blessed day.